Hey, I have a friend who lives up in Thurston County I've known for years, and uh, uh, they have three boys who are all adults now, but when the boys were young, like three boys do, they fought. Uh, they'd fight a lot. And, uh, you know, sometimes it would get physical, and it was always annoying for mom and dad, right? We've all been there. And dad would come in and look at the three boys, and he'd go, hey, I chose her. You three just showed up. <laughs> and the message was clear, right? There's something powerful about being chosen. There's a security, there's a comfort, there's a peace that comes when we, when we realize that we are chosen of God, that he looks down at us. I, I've oftentimes joked over the years that if God had a refrigerator, there'd be a picture of you on it, you know? God loves each one of us. We are a chosen people, and that should bring us both tremendous joy and and tremendous peace, but I think there's also a responsibility that comes with being a chosen people. Out of respect for God's word, why don't we stand? We're in 1 Peter this morning, chapter 2, starting in verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Heavenly Father, as we examine your word this morning, help us to see ourselves in the way that you see us. God, so much about this life casts doubt into our hearts. It casts fear into our, our hearts. Sometimes it, it makes us loathe ourselves. But God, you love us. We are not perfect. Uh, we have our own problems and challenges that we face, but you love us and you desire, God, to work through us. Help us today, God, to see ourselves as a chosen people, as a, as a royal priesthood, a priesthood as, as living stones, God, that you are assembling into something magnificent. God, would you give us a fresh, fresh vision for Lewis County? Would you give us the resources and the energy then to meet you in that vision so the people here would come to know you? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I recently uh, was reading, some of you may have seen this in the news, that the Saudis are planning to build a new wonder of the world. Uh, according to Yahoo News, Saudi Arabia is planning to build a 75-mile-long skyscraper in the desert 
worth up to a trillion dollars. They're calling it the mirror line. It'll have mirrored sides. I think I, there, there's a picture of uh, the proposal. And it will cut through mountains and desert and it'll span all the way uh, to the coast and, and even go out into the water. The proposal says uh, or suggests it will house five million people and feature a high-speed train running under buildings, uh, vertical farming, a sports stadium, and a yacht marina. This all according to the Wall Street Journal. This spectacular building will become the epicenter of a futuristic megacity called the Neome. Neome, which is going to be the size of Massachusetts and located on the Red Sea, has been in development for several years. The project is the creation of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who reportedly uh, wants to create an architectural marvel as iconic and as timeless as the pyramids. Now, to me, uh, here's my prediction. This seems like a giant ego project that will never happen. Uh, but I could be wrong. But I want to tell you, uh, there's something being built right now uh, that puts the city of Neom to shame. God is in the process of building something spectacular, his church. And I want to challenge us with this idea this morning as we move through this transition. Followers of Jesus Christ, you and I, are invited to participate in the only lasting building project the world will ever know. Look at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Jesus is the living stone. Now, up until this time in this Ready Row series, we've used these oars as a metaphor, that we're all rowing in the same direction, we're pulling in the same direction, in other words. That's our mission moving forward as a Centralia Community Church of God. This morning I want to change the metaphor and, and use the, 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 the imagery that's being used in our passage, and that's of living stones. Jesus is the living stone, and he invites us to be living stones. Funny term, huh, living stones, because we don't think of a stone as being alive. It's sort of this inanimate object, hard but the Bible says we're being shaped into living stones, shaped by the builder, shaped for a purpose. Imagine a mason who is working on a piece of stone and breaking it into a piece that fits with the other pieces to build something magnificent. We live in an interesting time, don't we? Sometimes I wish we didn't live in an interesting time. It'd be a lot easier, wouldn't it? But we live in an interesting time where there's a lot of hate and a lot of division and we're, we're, we're drawing lines between ourselves based on all sorts of things, political and economic and racial. But here we have the God of the universe who is making stones, each one of us, shaping us into something unique and putting us together. God doesn't care if you're rich or poor, if you're young or old. He doesn't care what race you are. He created you that way. He doesn't care uh, what your politics are. Boy, we love labels as a society. But God looks down on each one of us as individuals and says, I want to shape you into something unique, a living stone. And I'm going to put you together with other stones. And I'm going to build my church. The cornerstone is going to be Jesus Christ. 
That which holds it up is going to be Jesus. But on that, I'm going to build and I'm going to use you to build this church. So as a church, we need to look around and we need to look at people who are different from us and see them for potential. See them as God sees them. This this idea that God can be working in the life of those people. God is working to shape stones in America today that look like Jesus, that defy earthly labels. But he's also doing it in Europe, in Asia, and Africa. It's happening in Latin America. It's happening in Australia. It's happening in New Zealand. God is finding individuals, and he's drawing them to him, and he's saying, come and be like me. These living stones are being shaped in Centralia and in south-central L.A., People being shaped into something that looks like Jesus. Look to your left this morning. Everybody look to your left. Now look to your right. You probably saw somebody that looked different than you. Boy, I'm glad you did. Aren't you glad we're not all alike? How boring would that be? Aren't you glad you don't have the same skills? I mean, some of us look at others and we wish they had their skills and their talents and their natural giftedness. But you know what? God didn't want you to be them. He wanted you to be you. And he shaped you into a unique stone that has a purpose in this spiritual building, he calls it, that he's building. By the way, you start taking stones out of the building and it falls down pretty quickly, doesn't it? So God needs you. He wants you here to be a part of this. People being shaped into stones that look like Jesus. I like how one pastor put it. Like stones that already have been perfectly shaped by the mason, the builder simply lays each next to the other and they interlock into a solid and beautiful temple. When we speak to others who know God's grace, we see that their identity is now rooted more in who they are in Christ than in their family or class. As a result, we sense a bond that overcomes those things that outside of Christ created insurmountable barriers to our relationships. Jesus has knocked them down. Our our identity isn't in our race. It isn't in our income level. It isn't in the type of music we listen to. It isn't in what news channel we watch. Our identity is first and foremost in Christ Jesus alone. And when it's in something else, it's idolatrous. So when we start to see ourselves shapes as stones in the image of Jesus Christ, being fitted together here at the corner of Borst and Esham into this unique place called Centralia Community Church of God, assigned a mission by God, we can stand amazed as we watch what God is doing. I mean, we're an odd bunch, aren't we? But apparently God thought we all needed to be here. And we have a role to play. And no role is insignificant. You take a stone out of the building and it's pretty obvious. You are a part of the church of Jesus Christ. You're on a mission. God is setting you free to do his work. We're here for a purpose. We're part of the most important movement the world has ever known. Long after the earth and everything in it has passed away, Christ's resurrection power will have created a new earth. And we, the living stones, will be the carryover from old to new. The church of Jesus Christ will prevail. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. Again, Jesus is the living stone that initiates this mission. And we are his living stones called with carrying on the mission. 
To continue our metaphor, the work won't necessarily be easy, but it is glorious. It's, you know, I, I, again, getting back to that rowing metaphor, it's hard to row together. It requires us to pay attention to one another, to be in tune with one another, to know what the other is doing. This is not, hard, this is not easy work, but it is good work. The work that we're doing is the most important. The work that happens here is the most important work in the world. It will last far beyond anything else we do. It's also distinctly hard. It's challenging. Our, Jesus, our, our journey will mirror Jesus' journey in its fullness, good and bad. It may be hard, but those who walk daily in trust with Jesus will never be put to shame. Look at verse 7. It says this, now to, the, to you who believe this stone is precious, but those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Folks, Jesus is a stumbling block to many. And the message of Jesus Christ, I believe, is incredibly countercultural to the world we live in right now. We live in a world that is telling us to protect our stuff, to protect our things, to protect our rights. And yet we follow a Jesus who comes in and says, I want all of you. I want your everything. Thinking about that stone for a moment, sometimes the mason comes in and starts chipping some things off that stone in order to make it more effective in the, in the whole of the organization, right? In the whole of the structure. Coming to Jesus is going to challenge you. That's why I reject the prosperity theologians that you could see on TV. If you turn on a lot of the TV preachers, they'll tell you that this is a pathway to get rich. Or it's even a pathway to self-help and happiness. No, it's a pathway to complete life change. It's a pathway where we're being conformed to something greater, but that's never easy. Where Jesus is reshaping us in his image, and that can be hard. Uh, you know, I consider the Christian I was 30 years ago in my, in my 20s. God's had to work to knock a few things out of my life over those years. A few idols. Coming to Christ is not going to be an answer to all your problems. In fact, the decision to come to Christ may mean you're engaging in more problems because you're putting yourself out there. You're going to live in contrast to a world that's all about self-promotion and self-aggrandizement. Bigger, better, faster, stronger. Where the good-looking thrive, Jesus comes and says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done for me. It's countercultural. When we get a glimpse of the real Jesus, it should change us. It should shake us. Standing in the presence of the Almighty. When I was little, my mom read me um, the Chronicles of Narnia. How many of you read the Chronicles of Narnia to your kids or had them read to you? One of my favorite parts of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Some of you probably remember it. There's this great scene where the children who've gone into this magical kingdom of Narnia walking through a wardrobe are set to meet Aslan for the first time, and they're with two characters, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. 
And one of the things they want to know, they're asking Mr. and Mrs. Beaver about, uh, about Aslan. And they want to know if he's, he's safe, if Aslan is safe. Aslan's the Jesus character in the story. And in this story, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver say, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall rather feel nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. When we come to Jesus, I would say this. Jesus isn't safe. Jesus may have to wrestle some things out of your life. There's a risk in coming to Jesus, not in our eternal salvation. It's the best decision we'll ever make. But Jesus might say to you, you're going to have to give up on some of your stuff. Jesus himself said, if you want to come after me, what do you have to do? You have to take up your cross. And that might not have just been a metaphor for those first century years, right? So as a group of individuals, during this time of transition, we need to ask ourselves, how is Jesus reshaping us? What are some things that I've been holding on to that I need to let go of? What are some things he wants to add into my life? What are some of the risks he wants me to take? There's a little safe about Jesus. I mean, consider Jesus said these things. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a pretty exclusive statement, isn't it? Or this. These are challenging words. Luke 14, one day when large groups of people were walking along with him, Jesus turned and told him, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters... Yes, even one's own self can't be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me can't be my disciple. Think of that for a second. So we need to ask ourselves, what's Jesus doing in my life? One of my friends who's a pastor in Oklahoma challenges his people. He says each week, he goes, when you're doing your devotionals, when you're spending time with God, look at Jesus and say, Jesus, where am I different from you? And then pray through the power of your spirit this week, Jesus, reshape me to look more like you. That involves both adding things in our life, but also releasing things. Jesus forces a choice. He is our, he is all in all He is all or nothing. He is Lord. And when we accept his shaping into the kind of stones he desires, we can experience life as intended. You know, I said Jesus isn't a get rich quick. Jesus isn't, it's not going to make life easier necessarily, but I do believe with all my heart. And the older I get, the more I believe this, that my decision to come to Jesus has brought me more peace and contentment than anything I've ever decided, even in the troubling times. Right? I've had to walk through some pretty dark valleys in the last few years. And during those times, I've realized Jesus has changed me. Situations that I face now that I 
Had I used to, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, I'd have faced them, they would have knocked me down. But Jesus is working in me and reshaping me and, and giving me a confidence. As he does this, he reshapes us. And by the way, as he reshapes us, we become something magnificent and powerful. Are you ready to be shaped into that kind of stone, church? Are we ready for that? You see, we are called for a purpose in this community, in Lewis County, in this time. It's not an accident. I don't believe for one second it's an accident that you're here this morning. You have a purpose. That purpose extends into your workplace. It extends into your neighborhood, to your school, to the teams your kids play on. There is a purpose in life. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's, I love this, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let these words settle in for a moment. If you're in this building today, if you're a follower of Jesus, you were chosen by God. God chose you. God chose you. You are a royal priest, part of a glorious nation, the kingdom of God, your primary citizenship, your God's beloved possession, the creator of the mountains and the rivers that surround us here in Lewis County created you, and he chose you. And as a person, you were created in his image, and you are so vital to what he is doing. Most of us don't see ourselves as priests. When we think of a priest, we think of someone who is different than us. Maybe when you think of a pastor, you think of someone who's different than you. My wife will tell you I'm not that much different from you. Uh, I got my messiness. I live in a trailer down by the river. Uh, think about that for a second. Sometimes we think of, of holy people and we think of someone who engages in strange rituals, wearing unusual garments, versed in different languages. There's a formality to the priesthood. There's a strangeness or, or otherness to us. Perhaps some of you think that there's a strangeness to being a pastor. It is a different life. It's a weird calling. But here's the truth about much of what I do. It's the truth about much of Christian ministry, particularly in the Western world and definitely in evangelicalism. I think for too long in the Western church, I'll just say it. I think, I think about 30 years ago, we decided to start learning things from the business world and how we operated a church. I think there were good things in that. But I think there were also some definitely bad things in that. Because what happened was we started creating customers instead of disciples. One of the things we started doing in evangelicalism is if we saw a need for something, we would hire somebody to do it. Churches grew, and as they had needs, they hired professionals to do it. But what happened was we sent a subtle message to all our people that the work of the ministry is done by somebody else. And the reality is we are called to be a part of a church where each one of us plays a role. 
I think we've subtly sent the message that we don't need people exercising their gifts and graces in the church, and it has neutered the church. It has rendered us in many corners powerless. There are things I do. I administer sacraments like baptism and communion. You know, I prepare sermons every week. Occasionally, I I teach a class. But let me tell you something that might surprise you. Most of what I do in ministry, the part of the, people always, for some of you in here who are pastors or retired pastors, you'll get this. People people will come up to you and go, so uh, so what do you do the rest of the week? Um, and because I think they think we're golfing or something. Anybody, you know, if you're a pastor, you've probably been, so it's, what do you do the rest of the week? Uh, well, not Sunday, I mean, do you, do you do anything? Most of what I do in ministry most of what I do in ministry, you could do. Most of it. Helping meet the physical needs of struggling folks, visiting sick people and those who are hidden from society, praying with people, meeting with people to talk about God's word, encouraging those who are struggling, connecting people together. You don't have to be ordained by the church of God to do those things. Much of what the church does is done by you. And the church where people are getting this will be a world changer, will be a world changer. God gave me some gifts, but guess what? God didn't give me every gift. Thank goodness. I would be insufferable if I had every gift. God didn't give me every gift. He gave me some gifts. And the gifts I don't have, I am guessing, sitting in this room today, some of you have. And those gifts I can't do. I am not competent in those areas. But you can do them. And the church will rise and fall as people, stones, living stones, start to see themselves as a part of something that God is building that is magnificent. God, you know, it's fun how God has wired people. Different personalities, different skill sets. Some of us are loud. Some of us are quiet. Some of us like being in a crowd. Some of us prefer to work one-on-one. And the church needs all of us. The church needs all of us. Chosen people, royal priesthood. Last year, um, the church I came from had a a, a really interesting, a a unique dynamic. For one, a pastor that had worked there years ago, was the pastor of the church for 30 years, uh, still attended the church. He was 90, he's 92 now, I believe. And he became a, a, a powerful uh, mentor to me. There was a, his secretary was still attending the church from when she worked there. And she was 90, uh, I, I, want, I want to be careful here. She was in her mid-90s, mid to late 90s. And last year she contacted me. Um, she, by the way, she still teaches Sunday school and she also teaches, she lives in an assisted living center. She teaches a Bible study at the assisted living center. She is as sharp as can be. And she called me 
And she goes, ah, Mike, I don't know why I'm still here. I just want to get to heaven. She goes, but I'm still here, so I better be doing something. And she goes, I don't get around as well as I used to, but I write a mean letter. She goes, could you just send me names of people that are discouraged? This is during COVID and during lockdown, and this might be closer to two years ago. Can you, could you just send me names of people? And I'm gonna write them letters. 96 years old. Can you imagine? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? This is somebody who understands they're a living stone. By the way, it's somebody that we tend to discard, the elderly. And yet she's as engaged in a vital ministry in the church as anyone I know. That's pretty cool. But here's the thing. All of you have that ability. We tend to look at ourselves and think, boy, I, I don't know why God threw me together this way, you know? He had a reason. The world needs you. He has a purpose for you. So one of the things I want us to prayerfully consider as the worship team comes this morning, one of the things I want us to prayerfully consider is where do we fit? We're gonna be starting, moving into a different part of this Ready Row series in a couple weeks where we're gonna start talking real specifically about some of the gifts and how God can use you. Do we have a worship team coming? Is there a worship team in the house? <laughs> worship team? There they are, there they go. We're going to be starting to talk about some of this, but I think one of the things we, you know, one of the ways that we're encouraged to pray, I'll just read it to you now. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here. Matthew 9, 35 through 38 says this. Jesus went through the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciple, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. It's interesting what Jesus asks us to pray for here. He's not asking us to pray for the lost, although we should do that. He's asking us to pray for people to reach the lost to minister, to use their gifts. This is a funny prayer because it's one of the few prayers. I mean, there are a lot of prayers I pray that I have no control over. This is one of the prayers that we can pray that we can actually be the answer to the prayer. Think about that for a second. You might be the answer to this prayer. You may be somebody that God wants to use in an area of ministry, perhaps one we haven't even thought of yet a royal priesthood, a chosen people. Consider that for a bit this morning.